the particular way in which this morning we're going to aim at growing is in relationship to fear. We want to see this morning how to trust God when we are fearful, how to place our hearts into Jesus' hands when we are afraid, how to feel fear in the right way. Am I onto something when I guess that almost all of us can relate already? Yeah. Uh, Can you finish these words? The only thing we have to fear is... I found that idea very inspiring when I was in high school, but with every passing year, it seems less and less true to me. Don't you have other things to fear? I am afraid of loss. I'm, I'm fearful of experiencing pain because I've had a bit of it and I don't want to feel it again. I'm afraid of failure. I fear putting myself out there and being rejected. I fear loneliness, exposure, change. I fear I'm going to make a mistake that can't be undone. I really fear seeing my loved ones suffer and not be, being able to do anything to change it. I fear making a mistake with my kids. I fear watching them have to go through something that is too much and not be able to steer them away from it. That's me. I know enough about people to know that everyone in this room has their own list of things to fear. It's true, isn't it? The only thing we have to fear is almost always right on the margins of our awareness, tempting us to move to it and then freezing us from moving forward in the way that we want to. Some fear, of course, is good. You know this, right? When you're about to do something really stupid and you're afraid, that's good, right? Or the kind of fear that arises in you when you're moving towards something dangerous and purely destructive, that's good fear. Fear can redirect you and put you on the right path. Of course, from time to time, fear is very, very valuable. But this morning, the kind of fear that I want to see diminishing is the kind that keeps us from moving forward in the way that we ought to move. That's the kind of fear I mean. Uh, I mean the fear that steals joy and makes you constantly agitated so you don't experience the peace that you know you were meant to have. Both of these, I, these are my goals in, in both regards because I'm convinced that God himself is calling every single one of us in here, wherever we are in faith, God is constantly beckoning us to come forward more than we have in the past, to move toward joy and the kind of peace that God made us for. And what I know about life is over and over again, things will always come up in front of us as we're trying to go in the way God wants us to. And they will make us afraid. And they will tempt us to stop going forward. That's the kind of fear I want to stand up against this morning and help you with the kind that keeps us from going where Jesus is calling us. I want you to imagine hearing these words addressed directly to you, wherever you're afraid. Do not worry about anything. Don't let your heart be troubled. Even if the whole world falls apart, come and rest and be at peace. Don't be anxious about provisions and and shelter and about all of the things that You're tempted to be anxious over. Leave those behind. Be at ease. Do not be afraid of anything. Do not fear. Jesus said that to his disciples. 
And he said that to them knowing that they, just like every other person, would constantly be tempted to give up because of fear. He, he saw in, in, in every one of them the potential to become not only a recipient of the grace and power and love of God through their interactions with him, but then a bearer of that light and that goodness out into the world around. And he knew that the one thing that could keep them from achieving this magnificent reception and then passing on of God's love and grace was fear. And so he told them, do not be afraid. When someone tells you not to be afraid, does it make you not afraid? There was a reason why Jesus could say that with confidence to those followers that they didn't need to fear and there was for each one of them a way forward away from the kind of lacking the courage that we need to to follow God into the kind of embrace of God's truth and what I want to show you this morning is both why and how why Jesus could tell them that they don't need to be afraid and it's very simply because of who God is that's why we don't need to fear because of who God God the Most High has decided to be. Because of that, we don't need to fear. And then I also want to be practical. And I want to show you how to become a person who moves forward in life without letting fear stop you along the way. Let's start with why Jesus could tell them not to be afraid. The Word of God began to come long before Jesus came. The prophets and the, uh, the sages and the poets whose words now we call the Old Testament, they spoke already the truth and they brought light already into the darkness. And over and over again, in the old words, you hear this refrain, don't be afraid, do not fear. And there's a part of you that wants it to be true and wants to take it deep into heart. But let me tell you, let me show you why you don't need to be afraid. This is Isaiah 43.1. These are words that were addressed to God's people in a time of national fear where everyone was terrified. Verse 1 But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Here are God's words for people who are trapped in fear because of the overthrow of the city that they'd always called home. Their freedom was gone. Their future was impossibly bleak. And right in that moment, God speaks to them on the authority that is uniquely God's because he is their creator, the one who formed them. Receive these words now, wherever you are in faith, receive them as if they come from the one and only who has the authority to speak to you because he made you. And wherever you are in that belief, imagine for a moment that a word could come from the one who brought you into being and open your ears and your hearts to this word. Not because of what you have done, but rather because of who God has decided to be, this word, do not fear. First it comes to Jacob, who's also called Israel. He is the representative of God's people in in those days. He is a man who is unworthy because of the way that he has wandered from God. He stands for all of Israel. The reason that they're in this miserable place where their city has been overthrown is because of their sin. And so unworthy people are to receive this promise. Anyone in here unworthy? All of us are. And the word that comes to us as unworthy people is is this foundation for the lack of fear. It's not what we have done. Do you notice? It's what God has done. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You belong to me, you're mine. 
The redemption that God speaks of here in Isaiah is God's determination to rescue the people from the messes that they've gotten themselves in. Redemption is an ancient image of one party paying for the freedom of another. God is saying, I will pay to redeem you. You are the ones that I myself personally have called by name. And, and you're mine, you belong to me. And now what was first presented to Jacob and Israel is opened up to every single person in here who is willing even a little bit to trust her heart, to trust his heart into the hands of Jesus because in Jesus Christ, the covenant which is, is already looking forward here is completed so much so that we can say in here, Jesus has redeemed us. And whether we know it or believe it or not, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And do you know who's included in that category? Everyone in here. And when Jesus gave his life for our sins, he purchased us so that we all belong to him. He is the one who possesses us. And for each and every one of you gathered in this room this morning, the spirit of God in Christ is calling right now by name to you and saying to each of you, what is here pronounced all those generations earlier. Do not fear. See it? Do not fear. You have been purchased by God's gift of Christ. And now the Spirit is saying to you, right where you're afraid, and let it come into your mind, whatever it is. Whatever the thing that is before you that you're anticipating, and you don't want to experience it, let it emerge for a moment. Or whatever the circumstances that are out of your control right now and feel threatening, let them come into your mind. And here is the word of God for you. Do not fear. There's a promise that accompanies this call and it's a beautiful promise. It's in verse two, look at it. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Your destination, and listen now, not the destination that you're running off to because you've turned away from God, but the destination which God has put into your heart and you know God wants you to go to. It's out there ahead of you, but the only way to get there is through a river which is between you and where God has invited you. Crossing over frightens you, as of course it will. So you wait on the banks and you're hesitant. Maybe you should not go forward. You're standing before a wall of flames maybe. And on the other side, there is where you know God is calling you to. The freedom that he's made you for is through that conflagration. But how will you get there without being burned? Of course you wonder. And, and listen again, I will be with you, God promises. The river shall not overwhelm you, he says. You shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. That's why you should not fear. In verse 3, now God turns to his own identity to reinforce this promise. Look at it. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Egypt and Ethiopia and Seba, all three are real places with real people and real stories that are terribly frightening for Israel. These three are their rivers and their fires. All three are fires and rivers through which God has or will carry Israel. And so here he's saying, don't forget who I've been. When you face something new, don't forget how I've rescued you. Hold on a minute uh, from this text and from whatever's frightening you now. Do we have among, amongst us any people who've had a fear in the past through which God has carried them? Yes or no? Don't forget that, he's saying. I was faithful then, and I'll be faithful again. It's hard to remember, don't you think? But here God is telling them, I am your savior. And that word is for you too. 
if you will put your heart in Jesus' hands, this word is for you. You are enfolded in the promises that were given to Jacob, to Israel, to God's people. You are invited to be a, a, recept, a receiver of the covenant, the promise that says, I will be with you. I am your God. I am your savior. You are mine. Watch, watch this. Here's why God is committed to us. This is magnificent. This is verse four. Because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. You see, in the exile, the people of God felt neither precious nor honored or beloved because everything was crashing down around them. You know what that's like, don't you? Even there, God's word comes and says, you are precious in my sight. No, 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 I'm the one who caused this problem. Surely God is going to reject me because I've been so unfaithful. Every one of them could have said that. But listen again, you are precious in God's sight, every one of you. You are honored. You have no idea how valuable you are, Tim. If you think you are you are uh, as valuable as anyone ever could be. You don't even know the beginning of how much you matter to God. Why? Because he loves you. And this is the truth, and this is why Jesus could teach those disciples that they didn't need to fear, because you are beloved by the Most High. Because he's, when he sees you, you are precious to him. And you are honored by God himself, the God of everything. I, I, I might wish that I could tell you this. I might... Uh, think it would be really compelling if I could prove this to them. I, I might want to sway you to trust by being very over the top in how much you matter to God. But listen, I don't need to do any of that because it is as plain as day in the scriptures that the most essential thing about every one of you and every person you'll ever meet is that you are beloved by God. Because the Bible tells us this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Who is included in the category of the beloved of God? The whole world, that's who. And you might say, maybe God would do that for the good people, but not the bad. Listen to the words of Romans. Rarely will someone die for another person, though perhaps for a righteous person, someone might dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And the exchange, the ransom, the redemption that Christ purchased for us cost his own life and, and the price paid is representative of the value of the one rescued. And here the scriptures tell us that every single one of us was valuable so much in God's eyes that he would give his own life in Christ to redeem and rescue and deliver us. And so why should you not be afraid? Because you matter just that much to God on high. Isn't that magnificent? Not because of who you've been, because of who God is, that he redeemed you and that he's called you by name, and that you are his. You don't need to be afraid. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now, you put that word right beside your fear. And what if I tell you, don't be afraid anymore? Is all your fear going to be gone? Yes or no? No, I wish it would. Have you ever wondered why there's such a great distance between your head on the one hand and your heart on the other? especially in areas like this, where I can give this message, excuse me, where I can be preparing this message all week and four or five times in my office be moved to tears and then an hour later I'm afraid again. Is that, has that happened to anyone else? Yeah. Because there's a great distance between our heart and our head. And the why, why Jesus can say don't be afraid is because you are the one whom God loves. How do I take that truth and, and make it, so that it somehow changes my fear. I'm gonna tell you, listen, I have a dear friend who's in a 12-step program, and he explained this, that in, in the program he's a part of, they say recovery is in the pause between thought 
and action. That is, I think I need another drink. And then before that thought leads me right to go get one, I have to pause. And in that pause, that's where I can recover. And you all need to recover from years of being conditioned to move right from your fear into whatever it leads you toward. Can I say that when we're still friends? We need recovery. And so we can put it this way. Spiritual growth or the growth that we want as followers of Jesus. The growth where we're learning to put our hearts into Jesus' hands with regard to fear. It happens in the pause between feeling and action. And so I know that God is calling me there. That's the action he's calling me toward. But I feel terrified of it. And the way I'm going to grow as a follower of Jesus is if I can pause before I respond to my feeling and go the other way and then put something there in the pause that will deliver me from being driven by my fear. That is exactly what Jesus is calling us to. And that's what I aim to give you in the how. How will I learn to become someone who's not driven by my fear? I have three gifts these are things which are absolutely true, which emerge from the text we've just spent time in. Three gifts from God's word to put in your mind between the feeling of fear and the action. You're gonna put these three in the pause and it's gonna deliver you from being driven by your fear. Here's the first gift. It is the assurance of protection. You're gonna feel afraid because what you feared is right there ahead of you. And before you let it turn you away, you are going to pause and you're going to realize, I have the assurance from God of his protection. And so, let's be specific. You have uncertainty about your job security if you're going to lead toward the change which you know you have to lean toward. Or you, you know that there's conflict that's going to arise when you bring up what you've been avoiding with your children. Any parents in here need to do that? Or you know that maybe they'll reject me if I bring up my faith, but I can't get away from the fact that in this moment, God's really challenging me to speak to my coworker about what I believe. Whatever it is that you fear, what will happen is it will stop you from moving forward unless you remember this assurance. Before you turn back, God's word invites every one of us in this room, the one who created us, the one who formed us, who redeemed us, who called us and who possesses us by name. It invites us to trust that he will protect us. Is it hard for your heart to trust? If it is, it's probably because your imagination makes the future seem so awful. Who else is good at that in here? I am so good at that. It's too bad I can't get a job for that. But more often than not, listen, this is true. More often than not, the fearful scenarios that your imagination tortures you with never come to pass. If you kept track of how many hours you worried about this or that thing, which is awful happening, and then put it beside how much really of that thing came to pass, you'd be shocked to see how little of what you worry of actually comes to harm you. And then on the other hand, if your eyes were opened, what you would notice is that God himself, his hand is unseen, but nonetheless is protecting us and guiding us and keeping us. The God who commands his angels concerning us to watch over us, who lends his own strength and his own help and his power to hold us up is protecting us more than we even know. If our eyes would only be attuned to it, then we would be able to receive this assurance. Look at uh, earlier in Isaiah. Here's a, a, a perfect word of God for this particular gift. Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, the word of God says, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. 
Here the word of God is specific. It comes to you because you're scared and you want to turn back because you don't have the strength required to face that challenge that came into your mind when I started talking about fear. God's promise here is I will strengthen you. Do you see it there? Not be strong on your own, but I will strengthen you. Or maybe you're afraid because you you know that you don't have the skills needed to face this challenge, and so you're reconsidering. God's promise is, I will help you. He doesn't call you to something without promising to provide the help that you need. You'll feel overwhelmed with fear because the fight that stands before you threatens to beat you down, but God's promise is, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And there it is, the word for your fear God's assurance of his protection. When you feel afraid, which you will, before you act, dwell on this truth in the pause, and then you can have the assurance of God's protection. That's a good first gift, don't you think? Someone, and someone rightly so, is thinking, what if I trust God to protect me, and the thing that I fear comes upon me? What if I'm afraid of the river, of the flames, And as I move closer, they're hotter than I thought, and they burn me. Or if I'm there before the river, and and I move forward, but when I put my foot in the water, the current's a lot stronger than I knew, and it gets deep real fast, and then I'm swept away so that the water is splashing on my face, face, and I'm being pulled under. What if the thing that I was trusting God to protect me from actually comes upon me, and I'm not looking at it down the road, but it's right in my face? I have no interest in anything but sheer honesty. And I know this, that there are times where it will look to you as if God's protection has not come to you. Here's a second gift. And this is a second gift to put in the pause when that happens. It is the power of perspective. When you are experiencing what you had feared, you must pause before acting and call this to mind. I don't see the whole picture yet, and I can trust that God does see the whole picture now. I'm sure that most of us in this room, actually all of us in this room, can look back and see needless suffering due to a lack of perspective. With some time and distance, you realize that it wasn't so bad after all. Can you acknowledge that? When I was 14, my great fear was that I would be rejected. That if I was who I was, people would not accept me. And, and I feared deep down that I was unlovable. And I think it was largely because I was not like all the other kids. I was a very late bloomer. I looked like I was nine when I was 14. But then sophomore year, I met Kristen Kelly. Her dark hair, blue eyes, and playful smile promised to solve all of my problems forever. <laughs> In October, we kissed and all was well with the world. Until the day when I was walking down the hall and her sister approached me to tell me that Kristen didn't want to be my girlfriend anymore. I got in my car that night and I drove to the places we used to go, listening to Billy Joel and crying like a fool. (laughs) And I did that for months, all winter long. I dated her for five days. (laughs) And, and it's funny now, listen, but in that, it was the hardest thing I had ever faced up until that point in my life. It hurt impossibly. And I was absolutely convinced that I would never, ever be happy again. It hurt so badly. 
not until much later that I have the perspective to look back on it and recognize that it was only because I was in it in that way that I couldn't yet see what I could see with some distance, which is that this is actually a good thing. Now, hold on a moment. Hold on a moment. Some of you have faced things which are much worse than that, and maybe we can never call them good things. Let's come back to that in our third gift, okay? Agreed? But for now, how many of us will live day in and day out suffering needlessly because we lack the power of perspective, but here comes God telling us that it's because we're limited creatures who can only experience what we're in right now rather than from a distance that makes it so difficult for us when we face the things that we fear and that God himself is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who doesn't just see what's right here, but everything, that God knows what's on the other side of the river that we haven't crossed over yet. He knows every path that is before us. He knows every day which is behind us and he knows that in those days behind us, he's been making us ready for this, though we've forgotten. He knows every secret skill and, and every store of power that he's given you and he knows what he's gonna turn all of this into if you'll only let him and trust him. If you'll have the power of perspective, God knows that there is still, even though this awful thing has come to you, there is still good that he can turn it into because that's who he is. Look at these words from the book of Romans. These are powerful words of perspective from Paul. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That is not something that can be proved. It's not something that should be measured or tried out. It's rather a statement of faith, which says that even as things which God himself would abhor and hate are coming upon me, I'm not called in this moment to give up and think that I feared this thing and now I'm going to retreat into the darkness, but rather to trust that there is no trouble that can come, that God's hands are un unable to turn into something beautiful and magnificent. And, and to say that those who love him are the ones who can accept this promise, that means that all you must do is surrender your heart into his hands and let him love you. And then even in that darkness, there can be light. In faith, we can have the assurance and this truth can inform our perspective on whatever we are experiencing. Even in this trouble, I fear, I'm invited to go on trusting God. Even though things are not as they should be, God's goodness can emerge through the chaos. He is still at work to work this into his purposes, which are all together good. There is immense power in this kind of perspective to brace yourself and embolden you and to prevent you from letting fear sweep you away so you no longer trust God. You put that between the feeling and the action and that is a second gift. A good gift, isn't it? It's a pretty good gift, isn't it? Okay, thank you very much. I needed that. What if it's not just I'm being swept away by the river, but what if the river swallows me up altogether and I go down to the depths? What if I have to live through an irreversible loss? What if I can't kiss that face that I kissed for all those years goodnight anymore? What if I get the diagnosis and we pray in earnest and it gets worse? What if the only way for me to be by my beloved is to go to the grave? What then? Now this third gift is a gift that only comes in the Christian faith. It's unique to the story that we believe that we can say even in moments like that, that I can cling to the promise of participation. Listen now. When you pass through the waters, God says, that is when I will be with you. 
When you are in the flames, God promises, that is when I am also in the flames. Which means as the waters swirl over your head, he is also participating with you in that struggle. And as the flames rage all around, he is also in the flames with you, burning with you, if that's what comes to you. The repeated promise, not that God will keep us out of every trouble when we give him our hearts, is that he will be with us in every trouble when our hearts are given to him. And the Hebrew scriptures, which look ahead to a promise that is yet to be fulfilled, are absolutely jam-packed with the promise that in every trouble, God participates with us as the God who is with us. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Those are the words of Psalm 46. Everything can fall apart, and even then I can remain confident because I have the promise of divine participation with me. What if my fears drive me to fly away to the loneliest place on earth? God will fly to that lonely place to be with you. What if I bury myself in the deepest darkness of depression? God will be right there in the shadows covered by the darkness with you and it will be as light to him. What if I'm buried all the way under the sea in my grief? He will sink down under the earth to be with you, buried right there with you. These are images from Psalm 139. What if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death all by myself and my heart is empty and broken and shattered. God will accompany you in that valley and he will allow his own heart to be broken. It sounds like it's all too much to hope for or to even imagine God could ever do. What kind of God would be like this? The God who would do this is the God who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but humbled himself and found himself born in human likeness. Jesus Christ, God with us. And he is the one who walked the road that every sinner walks so that he could participate with us in that. He is the one of whom it can be said rightly that he who knew no sin became sin so that in every single way he would participate in whatever fearful thing you will ever have to go through as a person who is beloved by him. I want to show you this truth that we can embrace the promise of participation in a painting I saw this painting when I was in Colmar, France in 2000. I'd been studying theology in Switzerland for that summer, and I took a day trip to see the Isenheim altarpiece. It was painted in 1512 by Matthias Grunewald. Uh, it's in the Alsace region of France, and there, in the early part of the 16th century, there was a plague that took thousands and thousands of lives. Everyone who lived in France at that time was absolutely and utterly terrified by fear that they would catch this disease that was killing everyone. Uh, looking back, researchers have discovered that it was a fungus that lived in moldy bread that was bringing this plague. But, but this was the fear that gripped everyone. In that valley, there was a monastery. It was called St. Anthony's Monastery. And the monks there decided to turn their place of worship into a hospital because they realized what would God want us to do but to care for those sick and dying and fearful. And so they built, uh, they, they moved the, the pews out and moved the beds in so that the place was filled with those who were suffering from this gangrenous poisoning which was killing people by the thousands. And then they decided to commission a painting. And this is when they reached out to Grunewald. They wanted a picture of Jesus to put there in the midst of that suffering. And what Grunewald did at this point is unsurpassed uh, in, in, in art history, especially up until that point. 
as a visible proclamation of the gospel for the sick and dying. You may notice that Jesus is twisted and his skin looks hideous. If you look at it more closely, it's a little more plain. It's highly unusual at this time in art history for people to paint Jesus in this manner. But what Grunewald was doing was painting the gangrenous symptoms of ergotism, which was the disease that was killing the people who were there in the hospital right into his crucifixion. Giving Jesus the very same swollen blisters and twisted hands and feet that every patient was suffering with. So as they lay there dying, they looked upon a depiction of a God who suffered with them, embodying the promise of participation, dying of the same disease that was taking their lives. I want you to listen to these words from the book of Hebrews. And these are words about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are without sin. That is to say, when Christ took upon himself the sins of the whole world on the cross, every grief and misery and fear, every failure, every misstep and misdeed was known to him as if he himself lived through it. And then to add, yet without sin, is to indicate that because he was perfectly righteous, he could stand in our place and he never, ever gave in to fear. And we have in Jesus our priest, our high priest who can receive us and who can empathize with every fear we've ever experienced because he himself is participating with us even now in the bleakest fears. And the outcome for us is right there. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There you have it, an invitation for when you are terrified and swallowed up in fear to remember the promise of divine participation. And with that in your memory, go to the throne of grace, trusting that the one who sits on that throne can say to you in all sincerity, I know exactly what you're going through. And I care for you perfectly. And my mercy is for you fully. And my grace is for you and everything which is good that has been robbed from you by evil and wickedness and disease will be restored to you in the promise of my eternal salvation. You are mine and beloved. Stay here with me and find rest. When we give our hearts to Jesus, when we remember the assurance of protection and when we embrace the power of perspective and when we receive the promise of participation, then our fear does not stand a chance. And every one of you is invited to be bold and courageous in this way. Let us pray. God, we love you. We love you for your word and for the gift of this teaching from Isaiah, from Romans, from the book of Hebrews. We love you that you are the one who calls us to trust you and to leave fear behind. We love you because you are the one who promises and assures us of your protection. We love you because you are the one who gives us the great gift of perspective and because when everything falls apart, you are the one who participates with us in whatever we have to face. God, now would you build into us a deep sense of confidence that when we give our hearts to you, then our fear does not stand a chance and we can be as your people all together, the ones who move forward in confidence through whatever we fear so that we can be your blessing and gift in this world which needs the light that shines when we trust you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen, amen. amen.